This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. I'll read one verse and then we'll get into the speech. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, Paul's words to Timothy as... He's about to be put to death. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. In our last lecture, we studied the death of Jesus Christ. We saw that his death was a planned death, a voluntary death, a necessary death and an efficacious death. That is, it accomplished what God's purpose was with it, namely the salvation of his people. But if Jesus had stayed dead, there would be no Christianity today. The great truth of the Christian faith is that Jesus rose from the dead. I want to bring us through the accounts of Christ's resurrection first to set forth what the Bible teaches about Christ's resurrection. There are four gospel accounts, as you know, and each of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, records the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And although they have different emphases, all four gospel writers agree that Jesus rose from the dead. First, we notice that Jesus died and was buried. And eyewitnesses determined that Jesus was really dead. The Romans who put him to death were expert executioners. They did not make mistakes. He did not merely swoon and pretend to be dead. In fact, to make sure that Jesus was really dead, John tells us in John 19.34 that a soldier pierced Jesus' side with a spear and, quote, forthwith came there out blood and water. And after Jesus' death, a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body with the permission of Pilate and buried it in his own tomb thus fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 53, verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked, referring to the two thieves, and with the rich in his death, referring to Joseph of Arimathea. And so Jesus was dead and buried. And people thought that was it. That's the end of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. All of our hopes in him as the Messiah have come to an end. But Jesus' enemies were nervous. They remembered what Jesus had said when he was alive. He had said on multiple occasions that he would rise again from the dead on the third day. They, of course, did not believe that was possible, but they were afraid that a rumor might spread that the disciples might steal the body 
And so to make sure that could not happen, they asked Pilate, the Roman governor, to secure the tomb. And so Jesus was placed into a tomb which was hewn out of solid rock and a huge stone was rolled in front of the mouth of that tomb and that stone was then sealed with the seal of the Roman governor and soldiers then guarded the tomb and all of this made it impossible that Jesus could simply escape if he were still alive or that someone could steal his body. Besides that, no one expected that Jesus would rise from the dead and therefore the disciples were not interested in stealing his body. Now the actual resurrection of Jesus it took place inside the tomb very early on the first day of the week, which we call Sunday. No one witnessed the actual moment of the resurrection when the body of Jesus was reanimated, when his soul and body were reunited, and when he left the tomb in a glorified human nature. Here's how Matthew describes it. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, that's the guards, did shake and became as dead men. So Jesus rose from the tomb early on the first day of the week and he appeared to many witnesses. And the first witnesses were the women. On the first day of the week, at dawn, early in the morning, a group of women, perhaps as many as five, approached the tomb. And they had come not because they expected to see a risen Lord Jesus. They had come because they desired to anoint the body of the dead Jesus. And as they walked towards the tomb, they discussed a question that they had. And here's their question, Mark 16, verse 3. Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? That was the question. Who's going to take away the stone so that we can anoint the dead body? And one of these women was called Mary Magdalene, and others were also called Mary, several Marys. And as the women approached the tomb, they saw that the stone had been rolled away and the keepers were gone. They had been terrified and run away, the keepers had. And Mary Magdalene, seeing this, she feared the worst. She jumped to the conclusion 
not that Jesus had risen from the dead. No one jumped to that conclusion. She jumped to the conclusion that someone had stolen the body. And she ran to tell the disciples. And the first disciples she met were Peter and John. They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him, she cried in John 20, verse 2. Peter and John then ran to the tomb, and they found it empty. And they looked inside, and they saw the empty grave clothes, and then they went home. Mary arrived at the tomb, and she stood there weeping. She was inconsolable with grief. Her beloved Lord had been crucified and buried, and now she was denied the only thing left that she desired to do, and that was to anoint his body with spices. And as she looked into the tomb, she saw two angels, and they asked her why she was weeping. And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid she turned from the angels and she saw a man in the garden. She thought he was the gardener and she said to him, Sir, if thou hast borne him or carried him away, tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away. And at that point, the man said to her, Mary, and she recognized who he was it was Jesus. It was her Lord and Savior. He was alive. And Jesus commanded her to go and tell the disciples that he had risen from the dead. And Mary was filled with joy. So she was the first witness of the resurrection. Meanwhile, the other women who had not gone with Mary Magdalene when she had run away, they continued to the tomb, and there they met the angels. And the angels said to them, in Luke 24, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. And so the women, filled with joy, left the graveyard to find the disciples, to tell them what the angels had said. And as they were making their way, Jesus himself appeared to them and said, All hail, in Matthew 28, verse 9. In response, they held him by the feet, verse 9 tells us, and they worshipped him. So the second eyewitnesses of the risen Lord Jesus were these other women. First Mary Magdalene, and then these other women. But the male disciples refused to believe them. You see, they weren't credulous. They weren't gullible people. They didn't just simply believe things because they were told them. They refused to believe these women. That was wrong of them, of course, because Jesus himself had prophesied that he would rise from the dead. 
but they were not ready to believe. They were not expecting him to rise from the dead. I emphasize that because you mustn't think that the disciples were sitting there for three days thinking, on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. That was the opposite of what they were thinking. They thought it was all over. They had no joy in their lives. They were sad and depressed because Jesus had died and they had not expected it. So we have Mary Magdalene, and then we have the other women, and the third group of people to whom Jesus showed himself were two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That same day, two men, one of whom was called Cleopas, were walking home. They were returning from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which was a small village about 10 kilometers from Jerusalem, and they were talking about what they had experienced in Jerusalem in the last few days, how Jesus had been arrested and tried and put to death and buried, and how there were strange rumors going around that women had seen him risen from the dead. And they were sad because they thought that this Jesus was the Messiah. And they believed because he was crucified, dead and buried, that they were now mistaken. And as they walked and talked, a third man joined them. And he asked them what they were talking about. And they said to him, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? You haven't heard what has happened in the last couple of days? And then this man, he rebuked them. O fools, he said, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then this man explains to them from the Old Testament scriptures how the Christ must suffer and then enter his glory, explained from all the Old Testament scriptures about himself. But they did not yet recognize who this man was. They invited him in for dinner. And as they broke bread together, their eyes were opened and they recognized him as Jesus Christ, and then he vanished. And immediately, Cleopas and his friend returned back to Jerusalem in a hurry to tell the disciples what they had seen. The Lord is risen indeed, they say. In Luke 24, verse 34. So Mary Magdalene, and then the other women, and then Cleopas and this other disciple, on the road to Emmaus, and then fourth, the disciples in the upper room. Remember there were 12 disciples. Judas Iscariot was dead. He had betrayed Jesus and hanged himself. And so the 11 disciples they're called then, as Cleopas and his friend were telling their story, Jesus himself appeared in the upper room. And the door of the upper room was locked. 
because the disciples were in hiding. They were afraid. Jesus had been arrested and put to death. Would they possibly be next? And therefore the disciples were shocked at the sudden appearance of Jesus inside a room with locked doors. And he says to them, Peace be unto you. John 20 verse 19. And they were troubled and afraid. And they thought that they had seen a spirit, a ghost, not a real man of flesh. Why are ye so troubled, he asked. Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is, my, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And to prove that he was a real man of flesh and bones, risen from the dead, he asked for food, and he ate a piece of fish and honeycomb before them. And when they saw him, they were filled with joy and wonder. I said the eleven disciples, however, there were only ten. Because one of them was missing, Thomas. So Mary Magdalene, the other women, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the ten disciples in the upper room, and then we call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas, for some reason, had not been present in the upper room. He had missed the appearance of Jesus. And the disciples, of course, were keen to tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord, they said in John 20, verse 25. But Thomas refused to believe. He says in John 20, verse 25, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. He wanted proof. The next week, again on the first day of the week, Sunday, we call it Sunday, the disciples were all together and Thomas was with them also. And Jesus appeared again in the midst of them. And again, he says, peace be unto you, John 20, verse 26. And Jesus then turns to Thomas and he says to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas did not need to thrust his hand into Jesus' side. He did not need to put his fingers into the nail prints in his hands, he believed. He saw him. He responds to Jesus in these words, my Lord and my God. He wasn't swearing. He was making a confession. He was saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are my Lord 
and you are my God. And Christ says to Thomas, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Christians in every age are blessed through faith in the risen Lord Jesus, although we have not seen him, because we believe the record of his resurrection as recorded in the Holy Scriptures. So Mary Magdalene, the other women, the two on the road to Emmaus, the ten disciples, the eleven disciples, including Thomas, and then we have the seven disciples in Galilee. We're told that on a later occasion, seven of Jesus' disciples were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They were called Peter, Nathaniel, Thomas, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and then two other unnamed disciples in John 21, verse 2. And they fished all night, and they caught nothing. A man appeared on the seashore and called to them, Children, have ye any meat or food? He asked. Their answer was, No. And the man said, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. When they did so, they caught a huge number of fish. And John recognized that this man was Jesus. It is the Lord, he said. And Peter jumped into the water and swam to the shore, and the other disciples followed in the boat and brought the net of fish. And on the seashore, the disciples had a meal with Jesus, and Jesus had a special interview with Peter in which he forgave him for his earlier sin of denying him three times. Those are all of the appearances of the risen Lord Jesus recorded for us in the four Gospels. And Paul makes one more mention in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered, he said unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, that's his brother, James. Then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, that is, Paul, as of one born out of due time. And so bet between the, the day of his resurrection on that first day of the week until his ascension into heaven, we have a 40-day period. And during that time, he appeared on multiple occasions to his disciples Many of them are recorded for us in the New Testament scriptures. 
But one thing about these appearances is striking. No one expected him to rise from the dead. They ought to have expected it because he had promised it. And if they had paid attention to his teachings, they, they should have known it. But they didn't understand him at the time. And so when he died, they thought, he's dead. That's it. His teachings were good, but clearly we were mistaken. He can't be the Son of God. He can't be the Messiah we were expecting. It's over. And therefore, they were all the more surprised and filled with joy when Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And then, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, and that's where he is today. He's at the right hand of God the Father, and from there, he rules over all things, and from there, he will return on the last day to judge the living and the dead. Those are the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. Now I want to look at the main evidences for Christ's resurrection. Luke speaks in Acts chapter 1 of many infallible proofs. And all of these evidences come from the scriptures. The first evidence is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. We know where he was buried. That is to say, the people of that day knew where he was buried. They saw where his body was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And they saw how it was guarded. And they saw the stone which was placed at the mouth of this tomb. And yet, on the third day, the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was not there. Here's what Cleopas says in Luke 24, 24, And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as they women had said, but him they found not. The women, John, Peter, and others were witnesses of the empty tomb. And if there were some other explanation for the disappearance of the body of Jesus, then surely the Romans or the Jewish leaders or others would have been able to produce the body which had disappeared. And this makes Jesus Christ unique. Every other religious, political, or philosophical leader has a grave. And you can visit their grave. And their body is buried in their grave. But Jesus has an empty tomb. The second evidence is the position of the grave clothes. Jesus and 
or rather John and Peter witnessed this. When they came to the empty tomb, they looked inside. And the tomb was not entirely empty. The grave clothes were still there. Here's what John 26 and 7 says. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in the place by itself. Jesus' bloodied corpse, imagine his body was beaten and mangled on the cross. He was covered in blood. That bloody corpse was wrapped in strips of linen cloth. Now imagine you're a grave robber. And you want to steal the body of Jesus. Would you first of all unwrap the body and leave behind the linen cloth? Of course you wouldn't. And even if you did do that, could you do that in such a way that you had the linen clothes neatly where the head was and then another pile neatly where the body was so that it does not look unwrapped but rather as if a body simply passed through the grave clothes leaving them undisturbed that is what happened if i were to wrap you head to toe in strips of cloth and then ask you to unwrap yourself, you couldn't actually produce such a clean and tidy pile of grave clothes that this body left behind. Besides that, grave robbers don't unwrap the body before they steal it. They simply carry it off in a hurry. And then, of course, you have the problem of getting past the guards. The third evidence is the transformation of the disciples of Jesus. Something happened to the disciples of Jesus. After he was arrested, they all fled. They were cowards. Peter denied Jesus three times. He said he did not know him. And after the death of Jesus, the disciples all went into hiding. They feared the authorities. And none of them expected Jesus to rise again from the dead. All of them who went to the tomb expected to find his dead body there. And when they did not find his dead body there, they did not conclude, oh, he must have risen from the dead. But rather they thought someone must have stolen his body. That was Mary Magdalene's conclusion. And when the women told them that they had seen the Lord Jesus, the men refused to believe, and Thomas refused to believe until he saw Jesus with his own 
eyes. Now fast forward a few weeks and you find the transformed disciples. They are not now cowering in fear are afraid of being arrested or put to death. But now they're standing in the midst of Jerusalem and they're boldly and they're fearlessly pro proclaiming and preaching that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the only way you can explain that is that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. You see, if they had stolen the body, which is what their enemies said they did, then they would know that the resurrection was a lie. No one preaches a lie knowing it is a lie and is then willing to die for something they know is a lie. And time and time again in the book of Acts, when they were arrested and beaten, and put in prison, they all gave the same explanation for their behavior. Jesus is risen from the dead. Here, for example, is Acts 4, verse 10. Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, Doth this man stand before you whole? And all of the disciples were martyred. Martyred for their belief that Jesus rose again from the dead. A person, I say, does not submit to martyrdom for something he knows is a lie. They were convinced of it. And they were convinced of it because they saw it. They were witnesses of the risen Lord Jesus. So we've seen the appearances of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. We've seen the evidences for the resurrection taken from the Holy Scriptures. And now, finally, we look at the significance of Jesus resurrection. And the first significance is for Jesus himself. The resurrection of Christ is his glory. He is glorified. He is vindicated by the resurrection. Remember what happened to him. He was arrested. He was tried. He was crucified. He was accused by the people of being a false prophet. He was accused of being a counterfeit Messiah. The Jews said because he was crucified and God did not come to rescue him, he was therefore rejected by God and cursed. Couldn't be the Messiah, they said. On the third day, God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. If he were still in the tomb today, he would still be under the power of death today, 
and his claim to be the Son of God would be a lie. Peter says in Acts 2.24, It was not possible that he, Jesus, should be holding or held fast of it death. Not possible for Jesus to be held fast by death. Paul explains in Romans 1 verse 4, He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. If Jesus had not risen from the dead then, he would be proved a liar. You can't say that he was a nice person or a good person or a good prophet or a good teacher. If he did not rise from the dead, he would be a liar because he prophesied his own resurrection. Luke 18, for example, he says, They shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. In John 2, Jesus says this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I will raise it up. To which John adds the explanation, But he spake of the temple of his body. He said, you destroy me, but I, in three days, will raise myself up from the dead in my body. And even the unbelieving enemies of Jesus remembered his words. That's why, you remember, they asked for a guard to secure the tomb. They didn't want this rumor to spread through Jerusalem that he had risen from the dead. So they wanted to prevent that from happening by having the tomb guarded. The second significance is that Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered death. There is one certainty in life, and that is death. All of us will die unless we remain to the coming of Christ. But all of us will die. No one escapes death in this world. All men, women, and children die, and that's because of sin. Sin entered the world because of man's fall, and death entered the world because of sin. Death is a terrible reality because death is the judgment of God upon a wicked human race. And death seemed to conquer Jesus. At the point of death on the cross, Jesus' body and soul were violently torn apart. His soul entered paradise and his body entered the grave. But death only had power over Jesus temporarily. He willingly gave himself over into the power of death. And by doing that, he destroyed the power of death. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, 
and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Figurative language. You know what a sting is. Think of a deadly scorpion with a sting. Jesus disarmed that scorpion of death by having it sting him. And when it stung him, it destroyed itself. And now death cannot sting the believer who trusts in Jesus Christ. Oh yes, we die, we go to our grave, but for us, death has no sting. And death has no sting because death stung Jesus in the place of his people. Here, 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's why the Christians in the first century AD were not afraid of death. That's why they could go to their, to their death singing and rejoicing because they said, death has lost its sting. And for us, death is simply a passageway into eternal life. When we die, we simply leave this world and go to a better world to wait for the coming of Jesus Christ on the last day. At the same time, Christ, by his resurrection, destroyed Satan, the devil. Remember the promise of Genesis 3.15, way back at the beginning of the Bible, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The bruising of Christ's heel took place on the cross. The crushing of the devil's head took place at the resurrection. And the letter to the Hebrews explains this in these words. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Are you, this evening, afraid of death? Do you know what will happen to you when you face death? Do you have any security or certainty that when you die, your soul will go to heaven and not hell? The only person who can have certainty is the one who believes in Jesus Christ who has conquered death, has taken the sting out of death, who has destroyed the devil, who has the power of death, and who has delivered those who are in fear 
of death. Another significance of the resurrection is that Jesus opened the way into eternal life. There's life. Life for those who believe in Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. The barrier for us to enter life is our sin. And Jesus died on the cross willingly to suffer for sin. He bore that punishment in his own body and soul on the cross. And because he rose from the dead, we can know that there is life for those who trust in him. You see, if Christ had died on the cross and then remained in the grave, we would know that Christ had not actually succeeded in paying the price of sin. He would still be under the power of death and therefore still under the power of sin. He would have failed to pay the price and thus would have been destroyed by death, which he came to destroy himself. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says this, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. No resurrection, no salvation. That's Paul's teaching. In 1 Corinthians 15. Again he says in Romans 4.25, Christ was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for or because of our justification. The price has been paid. And we know that the price was acceptable to God to whom it was paid because he raised him from the dead. And now God can and does forgive sinners who believe in him. And finally, the resurrection of Christ guarantees our resurrection. All those who believe in Jesus Christ are guaranteed not only to go to heaven in the soul, but also to be raised from the dead on the last day and to be glorified in their body just as Jesus was glorified in his body. That's the hope the Christian has when he puts a loved one in the grave, a loved one who believes in Jesus Christ. Paul says about that, it's as if you're putting a seed into the ground. You sow that body into the grave in weakness and dishonor. It shall be raised again in glory and in power. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he therefore did not have the power to give his own body life and therefore he will not be able to give our body life either. His resurrection 
guarantees the resurrection of all of his people, all those who believe in him. So the calling is, believe in this Savior today. Believe in God's own Son, only begotten Son, eternal Son, incarnate Son, crucified Son, and risen, exalted, and glorified Son. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.